Hey there, and thanks for tuning in. I'm taking a break for a couple of weeks. Now, while I'm doing that and I've got my feet up, I wanted to share with you some of our most powerful podcast episodes from 2022. Now, these are rated extremely well, and if you haven't had a chance to listen, I highly recommend you do and catch up on some of our biggest hitters. So let's get into the episode. Every minute, every moment counts. Hello, I'm Julie Hyde, and I understand what it takes to make these moments count for leadership, business, and your life. This podcast will deliver insights and game-changing leadership moments that will allow you to level up and shine a light for those around you. Let's get into today's episode. Preeti Inchodi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Julie. I'm so excited to be here. Now, for our listeners, Preeti is the Managing Director in the Sydney office of a global consulting firm, Ancura, and specialises in mergers and acquisitions and strategic advice. Her work has helped transition some iconic Australian brands, such as Napoleon Purtis, Surf Stitch, and most recently, Peerlight, to transition to homes that support their growth at crucial junctures in their journey. Now, after finding her step in the industry after a long 10 years, she's now an active champion for mental health, equality, and helping other qualified immigrants to have meaningful careers and contribute to our society, a subtle problem not spoken of widely enough. So I'm so looking forward to diving into your story today and also tapping into your you know, beliefs and skills around building resilience. So shall we just jump straight into it? Oh, absolutely. Now, your backstory is absolutely fascinating. You were raised in the 20 million strong city of Mumbai in India. Then you went soul searching to a European business school to find your professional calling. And then subsequently, you ended up moving to Australia with your husband 10 years ago. And as a new arrival, you restarted your career while also giving birth and raising your beautiful son, Ollie. Now, that takes courage, like enormous amounts of courage. So on reflection, what do you think is the biggest thing you've learned from these experiences and really stepping outside of your comfort zone? I think I'll start with Bombay, as it was called, or Mumbai, as it's now called. It's a large city with a lot of people. And Mumbai is a place where people from all parts of India come to make a living. So growing up in a middle-class home in Mumbai is all about learning resilient, giving your best go to an opportunity that comes your way, and to a great degree, learning to hustle. So that that sums up Mumbai for me. And I think those formative years have always stayed with me, the skills I had in those formative years. So that, that I must, you know, pay my homage to Bombay in the beginning. And the first part of my career, I worked for a large financial conglomerate doing equity capital markets for six, seven years before I decided to really explore the world. I had lived in India all my life until that point. And so I decided to do business school overseas. 
And I specifically chose the school that I went to, i.e. business school in Spain, because it had more than 80 countries represented on campus. And we had a method of learning or group work, as we called it. We were in groups of six. And these groups used to change every three or four months. And there used to be no two nationalities on the team that you worked on and no two people from the same professional background. And that is a learning that has stayed with me for life because it really teaches you to look at a problem from a framework that is not yours. In fact, not just not yours, from so different to yours and still to be able to relate to the person across the table. So that was, you know, uh, finding what I wanted to do. By the end of my time there, I had a very good idea. And after that, when I went back to India, my husband had this opportunity to join an Australian company, which he was very excited to take up. And so I followed him here. And that was 10 years ago. And sometimes I look back and I, and I think I was naive when I followed him here because I was like, well, I have all this experience. I have all this qualification, surely. I mean, I can do what I want uh, because I had a working visa. Hooray. Yay. Amazing. I landed here 10 years ago and like many other qualified immigrants, not with a lot of uh, bank balance, so had to find work. Also, you know, decided to start a family. It was the right time in my career. So I was a new mom starting over in a new country with not many established networks. What that experience taught me is really about believing in your future when others can't see it because you can see it. Others can't. And if you look towards others to give you an answer, there is no answer. The answer is within yourself. You alone know your journey to that point. And what kept me going in these initial years is that I didn't need a lot of people to believe in my potential. I was looking for that one partner, one employer, one boss who I could do good work with. And that kept me going. So I never counted how many rejections I had, like, because I was focused on finding this one person. So, you know, 99 rejections doesn't mean anything if I could find that one. And as I look back, that has always been my strength. If I look back at my career, I've done very difficult deals because I believe in finding that answer, even if it comes after a lot of rejection, because I just know I will get there. I just need to know how to pivot. Wow, that's super powerful lessons that you've taken with you. And I love the power of your focus. And I'm going to tap into that more soon because I love the way you take personal responsibility for building your resilience and also for creating your success. So, you know, kudos to you for doing that. Thank you. So in touching on the industry that you work in, where there are few women and few women in leadership roles. When we initially spoke, we talked about your long game strategy, which I think is super powerful and sort of ties in with what you were talking about just before. Can you share with us a bit about that and how this has helped you not give up when so many can often give up when it starts getting really challenging for them? Long game is how I would describe it. What happens is most people 
are passionate about the work they do. So this lives we build around our work life is also like a parallel universe we live in where there are things happening. So you have the family and then you have your work colleagues and there are things happening. And when things happen, which you think are not favorable to you or perceived to be unfavorable to you, what I have found most powerful is to be able to remove emotion from that situation and take a look at it. And don't get me wrong, I am a very passionate person and oftentimes my first response can be very emotive, but at the same time and in the same breath, I do have it in me to go back, have a deep think about what's happened and run it past my support network, sometimes coaches, sometimes my husband, sometimes my friend, who can give me a completely different lens on my situation. And then going back and making a decision which is right by my longer term goals and ambitions and not wallowing in what has happened in that particular moment in time. And all of us, once we can master that, I think all of us can have a long-term approach to our career. But very often, this can be like the step we are unable or hurdle we are unable to get past. And that can lead to impulsive decisions and not aligned to a long game. Now, by no means am I saying that if someone's in a difficult situation, being harassed, you know, all those things is not what I'm talking about. Those cannot be tolerated. But what I'm talking about is because you come to a new country You don't have the same reference points as others. So people can't uh, reference you by the school you went to, the uni you went to, you went to work with that boss at that company. They can't do those checks on you. So your whole performance is evaluated based on what you deliver, not based on what your potential, because people give reference points to potential based on the work you do and all the other reference points they have about you. And in your case, those reference points are missing. It does not matter what you tell them that you went to the best school in the country you came from, irrelevant. So you have to take that into consideration when you make your decisions. And ultimately, the decision to come here is mine. I love living in Australia. It's a beautiful country. And I just learned to navigate the situation that I'm in. So coming back to long game, taking the emotion out of the decisions you're making day to day in your career will help you go a long way is what I have to say. Yeah, I I love that. And is that a strategy that you learnt through, I suppose, you know, making mistakes or is that, is this something that you've adopted through working with, you know, coaches or mentors and got better at? Because, you know, as you say, sometimes the impulse can be there to just react. I can be quite emotive too and (laughs) have learnt through, you know, various mentors and coaching myself and and being a lot more self-aware. Is it a strategy that you've learnt and implemented as a habit? Yes, I think as a first starting point, I am a very perseverant person just in general. So that has always helped me. I would say in the initial years when I was here, my husband would be my reference point. You know, he he's actively championed my career and my success, I would say. And he was my reference point. He's a very direct person and he gave me a different frame to look at my problems. But in the later years, and especially in the last few years, I have used 
coaches specific to the challenge I'm facing who have given me a, a completely different framework to look at my problem, B, some tools to how to navigate that, and three, a habit to adopt. And this part, the habit to adopt, is, I think, a huge muscle to build if you want to have resilience because adopting a habit takes time. But I can see that in the three years that I have worked with coaches, the habits that I've adopted over time are making me better at how I react. In fact, not react, but tend to more respond to what is happening. One of the things I really admire about you is that you are disrupting the norm and you are role modeling the way for women, not only in your industry, but for others where there are few women in leadership and management roles, because, you know, if you can't see it, you can't believe it is, is you know, the term that we refer to a lot of the time when we're thinking about women in leadership. So can you share with us a little bit how you are doing that? Yes. And I think, Julie, the whole purpose of why we are talking or how we connected in the first place is because I started to take a lot more intentional action as far as my career is concerned. So, when I first came, you know, almost I can call it mid-career here, the initial reaction is always to want to integrate, right? Not stand out, just disappear, just be like everybody else around you and just be. <laughs> but in the past 10 years, I've learned that I just can't, you know, not stand out. I mean, I am very different from the people, <laughs> look very different. And, you know, my upbringing in Bombay, I am just a very direct person. So in many ways, I have struggled to become one with everybody else around me. And that's led me to a place where I am saying, okay, if I want to create an impact, I have to be visible. And while that's a big statement, I think underneath that is a couple of tangible things I have started to do. And the first one is self-advocacy. So I grew up in a very religious middle-class family in India, and uh, modesty is high up in the values of uh, who we were taught to be and letting our work speak for ourselves. But the reality is I came here and I had no reference points, no established networks, and that value was actually not working for me. You know, I was sitting there waiting for someone else to say, well done, you know, so good, good work. And I realized that this is the wrong strategy because I am out of context. So I have to advocate for myself. I found this incredibly hard and I find whether it's nature and nurture, a lot of younger women as well, I, I try to lead by example and saying, hey, advocate for yourself. If a client has sent you a note appreciating the good work you've done, if you've got a meeting for new business, talk about your wins. And that's not uh, being selfish. That's just work. You know, that's how you progress. But the last part of self-advocacy is really being excited about my future. And this has taken me to the depths of what I believe is possible for me, to be honest, because to be a cheerleader for myself, I had to really dig deep and find 
faith and trust and belief in all of what I could achieve before other people can see my potential. And this is a tough one. And I must say, other than some really kind bosses and colleagues I've met over the past 10 years, my husband and my close friends outside of work have played a huge role because they have seen my journey from a lens different to a professional lens and can give me very impartial advice. I mean, I can remember so many times in the past decade when, you know, the goings got tough and I just wanted to kind of exit left and take up a job which was easier, but probably paying me lower or not suited to my capabilities. My husband's always gone, no, this is not why you have come this far. So really self-advocacy is a sentence, but if you unpack that, there are things below it. But what I want to say to anyone listening is you can learn that skill. You can build that muscle. Don't brand yourself that I'm not good at it. Everyone can learn whatever it is that we want to do. And over the past 10 years, I have learned, sometimes made mistakes, but over time, it becomes natural. It doesn't feel as unnatural anymore. So that that's one part of it. The second one I would say is implementing boundaries. This has been incredibly hard. Here again, I think I have relied on the coaches I've used to help me actually do this because not responding to a non-urgent email when I don't need to or saying I'm not available at a certain time or if someone makes a remark which is very biased to just politely say, hey, I'm curious why you say that. These things have been incredibly hard for me. But what I used to do at the beginning was very unproductive. So I'd listen to this, not speak up, go home, brood about it, get upset. And I just decided that taking small action or just raising your voice in a little way, in a polite way, in a kind way, can make such a huge difference. Because people are not out there to get you, right? People are just operating from different frames. And sometimes it is just helpful for everyone to just say it. So that's the second thing, implementing boundaries, what is acceptable to you, and just, you know, that can be a role model for junior women and other people who are like me to speak up in circumstances also counts. So I would say those are two key things I have been doing in terms of role modeling for others. Yeah, even if it's one person to me, it's success. Oh, 100%. I love what you said. So it's very much going back to your intentional action, but also, like you said, it's standing for something and using your voice in a kind way because sometimes it's not what we say, it's how we say it. And we've all got biases. We all have biases and, as you say, people are operating from particular belief systems, structures, whatever has worked for them and often are unconsciously saying things that can offend. Really courageous, but I love how you unpacked that and have shared your strategies for the benefit of others. And I think that's super duper powerful. But you have incredible resilience. And as I said before, I love how you take personal responsibility for that. You have shared some amazing strategies in terms of, you know, how you've built resilience so far. Is there anything else that you'd like to particularly share with us? Because, you know, resilience is a word that we use a lot 
I believe it's a, a skill. It's something that we need in bucket loads as you know we move forward and really progress outside comfort zones and you know achieve growth. So, what are some of the strategies you've adopted to build your resilience? What I have learned is that resilience should never come at the cost of mental health, right? And we are living in a time where resilience gets a lot of kudos to say, hey, you did that. That was so tough. Well done. But at what cost? And I think this is the key point I want to make, that if you are finding yourself in a terribly challenged situation, but you've made up your mind to get through it, reach out for help, whether it's uh, mentors or whether it's a coach or whether it's someone else, reach out for help. What I have found useful is reaching out to help with someone who's probably not that familiar with the situation has always given me the best possible advice because they're not close to it. So they're not biased in any way in terms of what I'm saying about the situation. Because sometimes when you're seeking advice from someone who is in the situation with you, probably there is an element of perception bias. But when you speak to someone who doesn't know anything about it, they just have a very neutral framework. And that helps you take a step back and go, is that right? So you need to have a curious mind to be able to take advice. So this is the other thing. You have to be open to advice because if you are closed and you have made up your mind, then other people's advice cannot work for you. So you have to be open to advice when you're seeking out for advice. And then the third thing, as I mentioned before, is ultimately adopting habits over time. So every time I've been in a situation, I have come away and there's one tiny thing I have adopted. And let's say it's one a quarter, but if you look back over five years, that just makes you a more resilient person where you are operating from a place of being able to analyze a situation and respond to it rather than react to it. So I think seeking help, I have sought help because I don't want to be this resilient person who gets to the finish line as one, the gold star award and have no mental health and peace and have destroyed my <laughs> relationships. So I think that is the key thing I want to get out. Seek help, adopt habits, and do not confuse resilience with having no mental health and peace. Yeah, I think that's really, really important because like you say, we can confuse resilience with just pushing through constantly. And people saying, oh, well done, you know, how did you do that? I can't believe you got through that. Whereas, you know, resilience is something that we can build, as you're saying, through those strategies and reflecting on moments. And sometimes it takes time to build resilience as well. So not to be in such a hurry just to pick yourself and dust yourself off immediately. It's like, okay, if you need to sit with a feeling and deal with something for your mental health in that moment or, you know, over, you know, a period of time, that's okay too. And that's all about building resilience and, and understanding the learning from situations. The other thing I want to just say is just 
having faith or self-belief in what you're feeling and allowing yourself to feel that. Because sometimes when you talk about a situation to someone else, they might go, oh, that's not a big deal. It happens all the time. You know, life is just hard. You know, get through it, push past it. And you are often left feeling, oh, maybe that happens all the time. Maybe I'm just very emotive. And I think that is also important to just allow yourself to feel whatever it is you're feeling. Take a step and then assess and not force yourself to feel something which people are saying you should be feeling. Just feel what you're feeling, you know. Totally agree with you. Whenever I'm in um, conversations with leaders about their team and they might be experiencing an issue, I always say you cannot argue against how someone is feeling. They're feeling how they feel. So we now need to navigate our way towards some sort of solution and how we support them in that because that's not up for discussion. And something else which helped me build resilience is reference point. Very often in our professional journeys, for some bizarre reason, our reference points are somebody else. Somebody else in the industry is doing well, maybe your peers, maybe other people and what's happening to them and then what's happening to you. If you flip that narrative and make the reference point you, you learn to respect your own journey much more and that gives you context to what is happening in that circumstance to you. It doesn't matter what ABC is doing and what XYZ did or did not do. It's the reference point is to another person as opposed to turning it to yourself. And I just had this chat with someone the other day and I was like, that is so true. We just benchmark ourselves to other people around us, which is the anti of, I would say, being resilient, right? Because we cannot build resilience living our lives, but trying to equate that with somebody else's experience. They just don't have the same frameworks that we do or you know, our personal journeys have. Great point. Moving forward, I'm curious to understand what is the next step for you to make it count? Well, I think for me, it's to play big, fully believe in my potential, continue to do outstanding work for our clients at the firm and make time for causes I'm willing to commit to. And the last one has been something I'm trying to get better at because what I've realized is it's it's not just enough to say I care about XYZ cause. You actually got to commit time, whether it is doing that charity walk to raise money for an organization you care, whether it's making time to speak to a person who has just come to the country and wants to talk to you about career challenges they have. In the past, I have been guilty of being, as we all are, too busy. So for me, those are the three buckets I want to focus on, play big, fully realize my potential, continue to do outstanding work for the clients we have, for the firm, and give back. So commit time to the causes I believe in. Wonderful. And I am so grateful that we have connected and I'm just so excited to continue to follow your journey and to stay in touch. And I really am grateful for your time and for being so generous in sharing your story and the power of your strategies and how it's worked for you and grateful to you for being a role model 
for so many. So Preeti, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Julie. It's a pleasure and an honor to be on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And I trust that you enjoyed leaning into one of the precious moments shared. I invite you to leave your thoughts as a review in support of this show. You can also share with your network and even rate and review it. I would appreciate that feedback and connection. I'd love to connect on LinkedIn or Instagram via my handle, Julie Hyde Leads. Until next time, live and lead intentionally and make it count. Make it count.